Hey, David said in one of the Psalms, come magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And we're in a three-part series about worship that we started last week. And, and this week, uh, I want to continue that. And that's what we're doing right now. What we're doing is we're at the heart of worship as we come to adore and uh, worship God. David calls it magnifying him. You know, when you take a uh, magnifying a physical object, what you do is you put it under a telescope or a microscope and you devote yourself to studying it. You look at things that you otherwise might have overlooked. And usually what we tend to do in our lives is we magnify our problems. Uh, we look at things that we have to do. We look at our own agendas. We look at ourselves and we tend to magnify all the things that are going on in our life. But in worship, when we come like this, we finally get it right. We come together to magnify God, and that is that we look at him. Obviously, we don't make him bigger than he really is. He's infinite anyway, but he, and, and he's as big as he's ever going to get. But we look at aspects of God that we otherwise might have overlooked. And then what happens when we see some aspects of God that we maybe have overlooked, just the sheer goodness and the, the greatness and the glory of God comes into our minds in such a way, because by the way, minds are a very important part of worship. They come into our minds in such a way that it kind of spills over into our hearts. And so it's important that we think about God when we worship as well. And so today our text is from Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 6. Now we don't have the screen and I didn't put the verses in the Bible in, the, in your uh, study notes, that's why we have Bibles available. And I even put the page numbers in your study notes. If you want to follow along, you don't have to, because I'll read it for you as well. But it's Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land that I promised an oath of, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I would imagine the Gazuntites and the Cellulites as well. <laughs> go up to the land that's flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people, and if I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. And so the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now just stop there for a moment. Keep your finger there, because we're coming back to it. God has made an offer to these people. And when you think about it, he's offering them almost everything that they wanted. First of all, they get to be free from Egypt. They no longer are going to be slaves. He says, I'll send an angel so that you'll have my protection and my guidance. He says, I'll drive out all your enemies so you won't have any opposition. I'll give you a homeland like I promised, and your lives will flow with material substance. We say milk and honey. Now, things are going to go well for you. You'll have everything you want, but there's just one thing. I will not go with you. There's going to be no more Mount Sinai, no more pillar of fire, no conviction of sin until it breaks you, no more passionate forgiveness that heals you, no more moments of worship where your hearts are so full that they could burst, no more intense commun communing with me in prayer. You can have everything that you've always wanted, 
You just won't have me. You get it all except me. And the response of the people, I think, is pretty amazing. They entered into mourning and they wouldn't move. And when the people put everything that they had on one side of the scale and they put the presence of God on the other side, they said, we just want to live in the presence of God. And for people who want to come to worship, the primary need is a hunger to encounter the living God. Now, an odd thing happens. It happens here and it happens in churches all over the the, the United States. A congregation comes together to worship and some people go home having been in the presence of God. They wept and they laughed. Maybe they were broken or healed. Some of you will go home today and you'll be different people because you were here in the presence of God. But some people will go home and they just sat through a service. God says to the people, you can have everything you want. There's only one thing. I won't go with you. You won't have an intimate relationship where you experience my presence in an ongoing way. Now, back to Exodus 33. Drop down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. However, Moses isn't finished. Verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, Do not send us up from here. In other words, Moses wants to make sure that this promise isn't just attached personally to him, but that it's to all the people. Verse 16. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And So Moses and the people of Israel said that everything kind of hangs on the presence of God. If their choice were between everything else in the world and the presence of God to them, it would be a no-brainer. They wanted God's presence. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And so God promises his presence that he will go with the people. And the primary question that I just want to ask very briefly this morning is, have you told God that you want his presence above everything else? That you want to live in his presence. When we gather together as a worshiping community, do you want to come into this room with brothers and sisters and actually encounter the living God? Sometimes that will mean immense joy. Sometimes it might mean painful brokenness. Whatever it means, you're going to live day by day and moment by moment in the presence of God. And when it comes to living in the presence of God, I believe that the great obstacle that many of us face, and I will raise my hand and say this is one of my biggest obstacles, is what I would call spiritual mindlessness. Paul wrote about it when he wrote to the church in Rome. He said, people are ignorant of the existence and the presence of God. Mindlessness has to do with living without the awareness And we do that in a lot of different levels. How many of you ever read a page, got to the bottom of the page, and you had no idea what you just read? Sometimes, I'll give you another example. How about when somebody is speaking, giving a message or a talk, how many times have you found yourself sitting, and then you're awakened up at some point to the realization, 
I have no idea what that guy just said. <laughs> you know, I don't know if any of you do that. How many of you didn't hear the question? <laughs> so this is mindlessness. And by the way, we're capable of it in, in amazing amounts of it. I'll tell you what really embarrasses and galls me about myself is that I can go for a long time without a sense of God in my life. You know, I have problems that I, I worry about sometimes, and I can go for a long stretch of time worrying about the problems, and I don't even think about praying about them. I think about my kids. I can get caught up in their activities and their logistics, talking about their experiences and their friends, and then I get done and I realize I never brought God into it. I didn't pray about it. I didn't pray for their friends. I didn't pray for their day, for their activities. You know, when my kids were little, my girls, my, my, my Kathy, my wife Kathy, she used to, every day before they would go out, she would, they're at the door and she'd let me say a prayer for you. And she'd say a quick prayer before they would go and get on the bus. And I remember being upstairs one day and I heard Allie as, as Kathy yelled, see you this afternoon. And one of the girls goes, aren't you going to pray for us? <laughs> Bringing God into the equation of the day. When we're in worship, sometimes we say some wonderful words when we're in this room. But there have been times when some area in my heart has not been yielded to God. And it's just sin. I, I can sometimes, I'm not overly defiant. But I just don't want to look at certain things in my life. I don't want to be broken. I don't want to change. So I slide. By the way, I don't want to live like that, and I don't want you to live like that either. Back in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is at a place that's called Bethel, and he had a dream. And, and in this dream that he has, there's this ladder that's running up and down from, from heaven, and, and angels are ascending and descending on this ladder, and he understood it to be the presence of God And so this message comes from God. It's a promise to Jacob about his descendants. And look at what chapter 28, verse 15 says. I am with you, that meaning the presence of God. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. By the way, Bethel means the house of God. That's why you'll hear a lot of Bethel Church or Bethel College. You know. Jacob says, I can't believe I didn't know or I didn't notice that I was right there in the presence of God. I've been spiritually mindless. How awesome in this place. And I think God wants every one of us to have a Moses and a Jacob experience where we can say, you are awesome in this place, holy God. I've experienced your presence. Now, through his Holy Spirit, God has poured out his presence into every one of our lives. He longs for us every moment of our lives, especially when we come together and worship, for us to be with him. And how is it that you and I can come to a place like this and then just sit through a service? And not somehow experience God's presence. We're not called to be spectators. Together we can encounter the living God in this awesome place. And by the way, this isn't so awesome today because 
the air conditioning isn't going and the painters are here and the fumes down the hall. Are, uh, we, we've had an unbelievable morning uh, already. But uh, that doesn't negate God's presence, you know. So I want to just walk through very quickly a couple steps that I think you can take as you come to worship each week. And so the first one is just start for, before you walk in here. By the way, we're usually fairly festive. If you're, you're a visitor, some churches start, time, start their service. Everybody comes in very quietly. Uh, we kind of greet one another. We hug. We love on one another. And that's a good thing. But before we begin worship together, I think we just need to spend a few minutes preparing ourselves. We need to recognize that the primary reason that we come here is not for one another, but for God. Primarily, we're here to come into the presence of a living God. Now, of course, we're always in God's presence. But when we come here, it's one of those times where we're in his presence in a unique way. You and I need to take some moments to prepare ourselves by creating some stillness and some silence. I, I don't know about you, but I have high RPMs. And once I get going, it's very hard to quiet my spirit. And I know how hard it is for some of you. You have busyness and even chaos that's governed your week. There's a lot on your minds. And if you have kids, I think you've noticed that it tends to happen on Sunday morning that Satan tends to go into overdrive. I think of my, my wife for all those years I've pastoring, I'd leave early to get to church and she'd have to get all three kids, you know, in combat to get into the car and, and to get going. And I know the challenge that it is to quiet your inner spirit. But this is what the Bible says in Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And so if you can, if you can, arrive a few minutes early. Begin to prepare your heart. And when you park your car, maybe just sit there behind the wheel for a second before you walk through the door and take your seat. And just say, God, I want to bow down before, the, before you. And I know you made me and you love me. And you can do that. Lift up your heart to him. And then ask him if he would fill this place with his un, uh, unmistakable presence. As people come in, you'll notice that some people come in who have a sense of heaviness in them. You've probably seen it like I have. Some people come in whose shoulders are drooping and their heads are down. That's an opportunity for you to lift that person up in prayer. God, would you fill that one up? Give that person who has a burden, pour your mercy on them. And you can do that all throughout the service. Do you know what could happen if just a few among us began to bear each other's burdens during our worship experience? This place would get bathed and immersed in prayer. And when we meet together, there are times when we pray corporately, just as Lindsay led us earlier. And when you're in a service and someone else is praying, does your mind ever drift off someplace else? When prayer takes place in a worship setting, your job is not just to listen to the person who's praying, but your job is to somehow transcribe those words and to make them a part of your own prayer. We're so conditioned to think of ourselves as spectators, and, and this is not a spectator deal here. When there are prayers, it's your time to say those words or other words if you need to say them. And we don't have time to read this in Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. So let me just paraphrase it for you. Moses went to what was called the tent of meeting. This is where he would meet with God. And when the people saw that God was present in the tent of meeting, it says that they would bow down very low. It was an awesome experience. 
And God's plan is that the tent of meeting wouldn't just be for a special few people, but this is a place, this place here is a tent of meeting where your heart is the tent of meeting and you're filled with the presence of God. Acts 4.31 talks about prayer in the early church. And as they were worshiping, listen to what it says in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Ever been at a prayer meeting like that? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So prayer is about the manifestation of the power of God. And they were filled with his presence. And there was his voice and there was his word. In your heart, this is a tent of meeting. Where we're called to worship and this is a time to say, God, I say yes to this time of worship. I put away distractions. Help me to be present. If I don't have your help, God, I, I know that my mind is going to flow into a million different directions with all the things I have to do and the bills I have to pay. So I just ask you to help me set those things aside so I can be present. And in times of adoration, you can say, God, you really are good. And I'm so grateful to you. Many other people are moved, but maybe you find yourself unmoved. And maybe you're tired. Maybe you're in a valley. Join the human race. And then you need to pray in those moments, God, I just feel dry right now. I want to lift my heart to you and rest quietly in your presence, but I'm just dry. We have a time when we sing together. Do you know that over 41 times in the Psalms we're, we're commanded to sing? Singing is meant to help us move more into praise, to express the joy of our thanksgiving to God. And it's to help us to focus our minds and our hearts together. And so use those words of those songs as an opportunity to pour your heart out to God. In this text in, Matthew, in Exodus 33... People, it says, bowed down before God. And later on, it says that Moses actually lay down on the ground before God. And we have different ways to express ourselves physically before God. Now, listen, we need to do this in ways that are sensitive to each other and not in ways that draw attention to ourselves and somehow distract other people's worship. But there are physical expressions of worship. Then there comes a time in our service where we have the offering. And a lot of people think this is an interruption to worship. I used to think that. In fact, one of the things that, that I had a premise about was that the number one reason that people don't like to go to church is they think the church is always asking for money. So if you've gone here for any period of time, you know we downplay the offering every week. We don't make a big deal about it. As soon as it's collected, it goes right out the back, you know, and into the bag and... and uh, but you know what? The offering is worship. It's a time where we worship God. In some churches, what they do after they collect the offering, they turn around and bring it right back up to the front and put it on the altar. And everybody stands and sings, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Because this is an act of worship as well. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says that you should give what you've made up in your mind to do. This is something that you should plan out. You should anticipate ahead of time. If you came in here today and you hadn't planned on giving, I don't think you should give. You know, it's premeditated. And then as you give, you say a prayer. And one of the places that we support financially through your giving is, I, I mentioned earlier in the announcements, uh, the strategic concerns, is um, the City Church of Compton. 
Now, last year we gave a huge amount every month to help this church get launched and, and really get stable. So I was talking to the pastor there one day, and he's telling me about a guy who was involved, and his brother-in-law was addicted to drugs, and he went through a rehabilitation program. And in the rehabilitation program, they said, you need to be around positive people. So he had heard about City Church of Compton, so he started going there. To make a long story short, the brother-in-law, his brother-in-law's wife, eight members of the family received Christ because of what was going on. And I'll tell you, it's really something. They got a kiddie pool, and they had a baptism in the driveway of the church. Now, let me tell you what the church building is. It's a three-car garage that they transported in, transformed into a church. And, uh, and it was really cool. But, you know, I got to thinking about that. At some point last year, we passed an offering plate here. And then 10% of everything that we collect during our offerings, we give to missions. And the missions committee said, we're going to help this church get going. And I think, was it about $600 a month that we gave to get this church going? And those eight people are now in the kingdom of God, and many more, by the way, because you gave. And I got some really cool stories that I want you to hear about. So we've invited Pat Dirksy, the pastor of that church, to come and preach here on August 31st. And not only that, he's bringing several people from his church with him to share their stories of how they've come to faith in Christ. And not only that, one of the ladies in the church is going to cook lunch for our whole congregation. So it's Taco Sunday, August 31st. Don't miss it. It's going to be a really uh, great day. But listen, when the offering comes, say a prayer. Think ahead about the fact that you want to give and say, God, would you use this in great ways? Make something wonderful happen with this. I'm giving this to you. And in our society, if you pray a prayer like that, that's kind of a subversive act. It's saying, free me from the way that money attaches itself to me and the way that I get so dependent or obsessed with it. Liberate me from it, God. Make me a generous person like you. We have times when we share things that are going on in our church. I, I put it as a joke in the bulletin, strategic concerns. I just wanted to be different. I wanted it to catch your attention when you saw it and go, what are strategic concerns? Most churches just call them announcements, but I thought we should have our own language. You know, I'll tell you what strategic concerns are. They're announcements with an attitude. <laughs> They're announcements on steroids. But here's what I wanted to say about that. This is your chance to pray. As I mentioned, we're going to have beach baptisms on August 31st. I hope that a lot of you will pray about whether or not this is a step you should take. When you read your bulletin, use it as a prayer list. Pray for the events to come. Pray about whether or not you should get involved. Let's see, I have a washing machine. I could probably wash the stuff from there. Maybe, God, do I, should I take this step or shouldn't I? If you've been baptized, then you should say, God, give some of those here who are here the oomph to take the next step to explore baptism. And if they are ready for this step, would you help them to have the courage to stand up in front of other people and demonstrate, I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ. That prayer is an act of worship. So the announcements are worship. Moses went on to tell the people how he wanted to know, know more about God. And I won't be able to get into that whole story today because... We'll just have to look at it sometime in the future because I, I don't want to step on communion. But it's one of the more beautiful passages in the Bible. The climax of this whole story is in Exodus chapter 34. After Moses had seen God like he'd never seen him before, he bows his head towards the earth and he worshiped and he poured out his heart to God. 
And we're going to take just a moment to pray here. And then there's going to be an opportunity through song and then the Lord's table for you to see God and to learn more about God and for God to speak to you. And while that song is going on, I'm going to ask that you'd be open to listening to God speak to you. Just as Moses did. And then we're going to respond to God. And the ushers are going to come and they're going to receive the offering. If you didn't have a chance to fill out your card, you can drop it off at the information table afterwards. And then Nate's going to lead us to the table, which is just another visual lesson about the presence of God. Do you realize that God is present with us right now? Right now, he's longing to reveal himself to you. So I hope you'll pour your heart back to him in an unhindered way. And just before I pray, the song that the worship team is going to sing here was written by a guy named Matt Redmond. He was a worship leader at another church. And he had some terrible afflictions to his voice, so he couldn't lead singing. And he said to the pastor, I don't think I can be the worship leader now. And the pastor says, what do you mean? He says, because I can't sing. He says, you think worship is just singing? He says, you're our worship leader. We don't have to sing to worship God. And so at that church, they went for a period, I think it was about six months, where there was no singing. But there was other aspects of what it meant to worship God. But during that time, Matt Redman had a revelation about himself that maybe he was performing rather than really worshiping. And so he wrote this song, I'm Coming Back to the Heart of Worship, and really getting to the heart of what it is. And that's what I hope we'll get to as, as we worship today. So let's pray. Lord God, we rejoice in your greatness and power, in your gentleness and in your love, in your mercy and justice. Enable us by your spirit to honor you in our thoughts and our words and our actions and to serve you in every aspect of our lives. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.